One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and he once said, you're never too old to set another goal or dream a new dream. And uh, I would agree with that. And while I don't necessarily know what new goals you've set for yourself or what new dreams you're dreaming for 2013, I'd I'd like to share with you uh, what my dream is for us here at Parkview moving forward. Uh, In a nutshell, my dream, and really it's more of a prayer, is that together we will continue to reflect more and more uh, some of the key characteristics of the early Christian church. In fact, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 2, to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. One of the the things that Scripture tells us, and certainly history affirms, is that the earliest followers of Jesus had, um, had a huge spiritual impact on the people around them. I mean, the church... Uh, literally turned its neighborhood, its, its, um, its city, its culture, and eventually the world at large upside down and changed it forever. And the church did it not by out-strategizing other religions or by out-arguing their detractors, but by out-giving, out-serving, and out-loving everybody else, all in the name and in the power and the truth of Jesus. And so I want to explore with you over the next couple of weeks what it means for us to be uh, an upside-down type church, uh, one that has a, that kind of spiritual impact on our world. And one of the key components to that impact uh, centers in and around our relationships with each other, our togetherness, our connectedness. And here in uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, we're given a report on what was happening in the lives of the earliest Christians. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Here's my, um, here's my Ray K summary of that. From the very outset, Christ's followers were committed to being with each other in worship, uh, in prayer, in study, basically in life. And they cultivated and, and experienced community in the truest sense of the word, both in a large setting, uh, in the temple courts, and in smaller intimate settings, for example, in their homes. It seems to me that early believers really understood that, that faith in Jesus and his gospel of grace uh, not only saved them from something, but saved them into something, a new relationship with God and a new relationship with one another, a new type of community. And so from Acts chapter 2 all the way throughout the New Testament, the church is always described uh, in togetherness-type language. You know, language. You know, whenever the Bible speaks of spiritual growth of a believer, it never speaks of it as an individual process, but rather a process that takes place in the context of, of authentic relationships. As God's people, there is nowhere in Scripture where we're spoken to as individuals removed from the communal aspect of faith. It's just not there. If you look at the beginning of most New Testament letters, the author addresses believers in a certain region or a certain city. He talks to the whole group, to the believing community. And so the admonitions are things like, you know, let's go, let's grow, let's do this, let's give, let's love, let's not do the other thing, let's cling to this, let's walk this way. And uh, even in the documents where an author does address an individual, he does so in order to teach the, the church at large. And this isn't just a New Testament deal. I mean, God's story of redemption, Old Testament, New Testament, beginning to end, God's story of redemption is an inescapable, is inescapably communal. In fact, everything that God does in the life of, a, of an individual is meant to pour back into the group. And I think that as Christians, you know, living in the midst of a very individualistic culture, it's easy for us to lose sight uh, of how of how crucial our connectedness, our togetherness is to spiritual growth and health, which in turn impacts our world. 
For a follower of Jesus to be isolated from other believers is not only depressing and debilitating, it's terminal. Because as Christians, as human beings, we need each other. And that's why God has given us this this redeemed community, the church, his people, his family. I mean, if you think about the primary metaphor that's used in the New Testament to describe the church, it's called what? The body of Christ. The body made up of many members. You know, with your physical body, if you if you cut off a finger and throw it aside, that finger doesn't keep growing or moving or, or fulfilling and playing its part, right? It shrivels up and dies. Likewise, as a Christian, if you're removed or disconnected from the body, it's unhealthy. If and when we isolate ourselves from deep, authentic Christian community, we do damage to our own spiritual lives and damage to the church body. And that's why at Parkview, a core belief of ours is that relationships are critically important, i.e. community community is, is, is the necessary context for spiritual growth and health. And so one of the things that we're going to keep emphasizing and pressing as we move forward together uh, is connection and participation in community. Now, over the years, let me tell you, I've had people come to me and say things like, hey, Ray, you know, Parkview has changed my life, which sounds good, and, it's, and, and, and I hope that's true. But in some cases, I look at that person's life over a period of time and see very little change at all. And what I've come to realize is for that particular person, what they're really saying to me is that, hey, Parkview has inspired me, and it makes me feel good sometimes. It makes me feel not so good other times, but I'm learning things that I never knew before. And, and all, that's, all that's well and fine, but there's no true significant change in the trajectory of that person's, that person's life. Why? Well, more often than not, it's because that person has bought into the flawed notion that being part of the church is about showing up on Sunday morning. But here's the reality. True community doesn't happen in this big environment. I mean, part of it does. I mean, sure, you, you get to meet people and talk to people, and we participate in worship together. We sing, we, we share communion, we pray and learn together. But according to the New Testament, there's, a, there's much more to Christian community than just this. Again, with the early church, believers were described as being together a lot. And sometimes uh, they, were, they were together in a big group, but most of the time they were doing life together in smaller settings, in smaller meetings, get-togethers, studying, praying, holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, laughing together, grieving with those who grieve. They were, they were walking closely together through both the joys and trials of life. That doesn't happen on Sunday morning. Those things happen the rest of the week in smaller relational contexts. And so we have made a strategic commitment to, as best that we can, encourage, support, resource, and assist people in connecting and moving into these type of smaller relational communities. And this morning I've invited three of our uh, ministry staff folks to come up and briefly share with you how we're trying to integrate that New Testament concept across the entire spectrum of the church. And so I want to first invite uh, Glenn Westberg to come up and share. Glenn is a student ministries pastor. Many of you know him. So he's going to share about how uh, this is affecting youth ministry. I couldn't agree more with what Ray just said about the importance of small group involvement because not only because it's biblical, but because it's life-changing. Sharing life together in such a context is is life-changing. At Parkview, both our middle school and our high school uh, ministries utilize small groups as a key ingredient to the spiritual formation that we strive to achieve in the lives of students. See, one of the key values that we have that I champion all the time in our student ministries is that of safety. 
and I define safety as a place where we can come and be ourselves without fear of ridicule or rejection. Because I like to say that a lot of times we wear what I call uh, church masks. We kind of come here, maybe we got in a fight with our spouse or our kids on the way, and uh, we get out of the car in the parking lot and we're still affected by it. And yet somehow by the time we reach the lobby, you know, we feel like we need to be smiling and somebody says, how you doing? Fine. It's fine. You know, or maybe like you're going through something at work. You don't even know if you're going to have a job next week because of downsizing. And you're, you're all tore up inside because you don't know how you're going to pay bills. And yet you show up here on a Sunday morning or I show up here on a Sunday morning and we're afraid to let people know about that. You know, maybe we just feel like there's no time to let people know about what's really going on inside our lives on a Sunday morning, like Ray was just talking about. The meet and greet time, that's great, you know, to turn around, say hi, introduce yourself to somebody, get to know somebody a little bit, but it's really not a time to, to really let that person know who you really are. So in our um, student ministries, we create um, this safe environment for students to be as real as they want to be. We want them to know that they have an environment in our ministries in both the middle school and high school level where they have time to be real with each other, where they're loved, where they're cared for, and where they're safe, where they can ask those questions and where they can um, explore what life with Christ really looks like and not fear like they're going to be laughed at or, or, or cast out, you know, or, you know, rejected from our ministry. Wearing masks isn't a sign of, of health. It's really a sign of dysfunction and isolation. I know Ray does not want that for Parkview, and I certainly don't want that for our student ministries. So what I did was I just asked a few students to uh, tell me of how um, small groups have impacted their lives. And so I'm just going to close my time by sharing um, just a couple stories with you. One of our students named Dominic said this, Ever since entering small groups as a second semester sophomore, my relationship with Christ has not just excelled but changed in many ways. We've read Knowing God by A.W. Tozer and watched a video series on the church by Francis Chan. I now realize the magnificence and power of God, but also have been educated on the unbreakable union of the Trinity. I can see that church is something that is not a building, but is also a united group of people joined by an incredible faith. And I also now know that prayer isn't just something you do in private, but project to the world. All these realizations have taken place through simple participation in reading and group discussion, things large-scale youth group events lack for a reason. Small groups, he says, really open a door to a whole new level of faith. And then Alicia writes this, It's hard to describe the impact my small groups have made on my life because the impact has been so great and far-reaching. I would compare it to the unity of believers Jesus prays for in John 17. Truly, small groups have been one of the few places where I've gotten to experience the kind of church God intended. By sharing my faith and my life so intimately with other believers, I've seen firsthand how the Holy Spirit moves. There have been many times when our group has gathered tearfully and fervently in prayer and times when we've seen God answer. There's something so powerful about this unity. It's encouraged me during times when I needed love and empathy. It's challenged me to pursue God and his kingdom. And it's lifted my spirits when I needed a good laugh. 
Over the years, she says, my small group has always been a safe, welcoming place where I could take off the mask and the stress of the day and be real with people. It's always been a refuge, a place where I don't feel like I have to impress anybody, where I matter to people and people matter to me, where I can ask honest questions and where I know my faith will be sharpened and refined as a result of having been together with believers. This is how God has used small groups in my life to shape me into the person I am today. I'm so incredibly grateful for the opportunity small groups have given me to live out my faith more fully. So if you're a student here this morning or you know, if you're a parent of a middle school or high schooler who, who would be interested in connecting um, in a setting like this, then you can simply visit Parkview's website or just shoot me an email and I'd be glad to help you in any way I can. Now I'd just like to uh, bring up Kim, who's going to share a little bit about smaller communities as they relate to the lives of adults at Parkview. So many of you may associate me with this uh, large life group logo that we have because for the last six months, Parfu has taken on an initiative to get people connected in smaller, more intimate communities. That ministry has grown over 100%, and there are currently over 350 people seeking to know each other and be authentic and receive care from one another and seek God's face in these smaller communities. But what many of you don't know is that five years ago, I was a mom struggling with postpartum depression, sitting in front of my computer at home, telling myself that I knew what community was. You see, five years ago, my husband and I walked through the doors of Parkview, and if my depression didn't leave me struggling with social isolation enough, my past church experience most certainly did. I wanted nothing to do with the church. If I'm really honest, I loved coming to Parkview on Sunday mornings. I loved engaging in the worship experience, but I wanted nothing to do with the people of God because I was sick and tired of being hurt, and I simply did not want to risk relationship again. But you see, there was a big problem because when I would go home at night or when I was sitting at home at night checking my Facebook account for the 26th time that day, telling myself that I knew community, I was aware that when no one had noticed my comment and I felt the pain of loneliness, I was most certainly aware that I didn't really know community. In my daughter's first year of life when she was struggling with medical issues and I had no friend to call to help carry me through, I was surely aware of the deep loneliness that I felt. And when the depression I was experiencing became so deep that I struggled to get out of bed every day and I had no woman to call who had journeyed further down the road than I had to tell me to hold on because God had not left me and he had not forsaken me and that to tomorrow was a new day. It was in those moments that I became profoundly aware that my usual practice of rushing into Parkview on Sunday mornings and rushing out and going home and getting on my computer to experience true community on Facebook just wasn't enough. And you see, as much as I wanted to push away community and as much as I was telling myself a lie that I actually had it, God was doing something pretty amazing. God was loving me well through the people of Parkview, through this community and through the staff. God was pursuing me. And finally, one night, as I sat in front of my computer, 
I got really honest with God about the deep loneliness that I felt. I got really honest with God about the calling that I felt to serve his church that was deep within that I had been pushing away for the fear that I would once again be rejected. And I spent some time repenting. And then I said this prayer. Here's the deal, God. I am scared out of my mind, but I'm yours. And if you have a place for me in your church, if you have a community for me, I'm no longer going to say no. From this point on, my answer to you will be yes. Shortly thereafter, I would take a big step for me, and that was joining one of our Wednesday night women's studies. Quite literally, moments after praying that prayer, I arrived at the women's study. And within moments, a woman looked at me and said, would you help me lead this table of women? Would you help me pray for them? Would you get to know them? Would you let them get to know you? And my answer was, yes. See, I've been on staff at Parkview now for two years. And every single day, I get the privilege and the gift of helping people step out of isolation and take a step toward community. I get to focus on three primary areas of ministry. One is coordinating our classes, whether it's a Wednesday night class or a Sunday morning class at Parkview, to help people engage, to meet each other authentically, and to grow closer to God. I get the amazing gift of being a part of our recovery ministry at Parkview and watching people who are struggling with their addictions find hope in one another. Do you know that we have a woman here at Parkview that walks two miles with a crying infant on a trip that is mostly uphill just to get here because she gets that she can't do recovery alone? The other thing that I get to do is I get to find leaders and I get to help people to connect through life groups. All of this is about helping people step out of isolation and step into community. And then this last year, 500 people have taken one of these three steps to engage in community. Now, I don't know exactly where you're at today. Maybe you are where I was at and you are scared out of your mind. Maybe you are bound by the shame of an abortion that you had 30 years ago, one month ago, or three days ago. Maybe you are struggling with an addiction to pornography or lust or alcoholism. I don't know what it is. But I would challenge you today to think about what God is stirring in your heart. And I would ask you today, what can your yes be? Because God has someone who can help you on your journey. And just as God has someone to help you, there is someone who needs your story for their journey. One of the people that was most influential in my time of getting connected with Parkview is Pastor Steve King. So I'm going to invite him to come forward and talk about what community looks like within his ministry context. My family uh, started attending Parkview in 2000, and I have to be honest, I did not want to come here the first day. And uh, in fact, I did everything I could to kick and scream and not come. But the first Sunday we were here, it was really interesting because I, as I kind of walked in and, and not knowing what to expect, I was really intrigued by the people that I met. And there was something different, something unique, not in a weird way, but in a good way. And so we kept coming back. After about a year, I joined a group of guys who asked me if, they would, if I would like to study the book of James 
uh, in the Bible. And I was like, what's the book of James? And frankly, what's the Bible? Because I really had never opened one before. Uh, but I joined for whatever reason. And when I hung out with these guys, I found some guys who were, they were taking what the scriptures had to say about living and working through to try to apply them to their life. And a year or so later, I started serving then on the music team here, as well as in the band with Glenn uh, for the youth ministry. And when I first started serving, I have to be honest, is I kind of looked at it like a music gig that I've been doing for most of my life. But over time, I realized that serving with those teams, it was having a much more profound impact on my life and on my faith journey. And through a number of key relationships, I, I saw how they were trying to live out their lives to honor God. I remember spending time with Glenn, watching, talking, listening, and realizing that there was something about him that I didn't have. And it was intriguing. And because I'm really slow, it took me a while, but I realized that it was faith in Jesus that was different about him. I also remember many conversations with people uh, on the music team. We would hang out and uh, sit and talk. Um, and, uh, you know, they would be very honest about their issues, about their challenges, their struggles, kind of their normal everyday life stuff that happens to everybody. And, and working through how their faith then drove their response to that life circumstance. So in 2003, I became a Christian, and I joined the staff here in 2006. And uh, on a staff retreat a few years ago, we were asked to say, okay, what were a couple major turning points in, in your faith journey? Kind of what propelled you to maybe the next place uh, in your discipleship? And each one of my turning points included a relationship with a person. Right? And as we went around the staff and everybody uh, threw in their answers, virtually all of the big launching and turning points in our faith journeys involved people. It didn't involve uh, classes or programs or, or gaining some special knowledge. Not that those are bad things, but those things happen through relationships. And so as I, as I turn and I look at my turning points, I've seen that in many people that I've gotten to know here at Parkview. Now, about a year ago, I was part of a team from Parfu that went to Guatemala with living water. We went to drill a well in a tiny village. Um, and before we left as a team, we got together a few times. We shared a few meals, you know, introduced each other, you know, told a little, about, uh, you know, a little bit about each other. But let me tell you, after you spend a week traveling, working hard, laughing, sweating, eating, and serving together, you form relationships that are really hard to form any other way. You know people inside and out. Don't ask them about any of my bad side because they will, they will know it. And if you're a guy here today, you probably recognize, you know, we don't share our life stories by sitting, having a cup of tea, sharing all these kinds of things. We share life by doing things together. So if you're a guy here today, listen to this. Serving with other people is a great way to connect. You don't have to sit and have tea and look at them. You can serve with them. And our Guatemala team, it's, we've stayed connected, right? And we'll always have that shared experience. In fact, some of the folks from that trip, they stayed connected and decided on their own to go to Haiti to minister at an orphanage this past December. And they shared that common experience. They stayed together, and they've continued to serve. I mean, how cool is that act of community? You may be also aware that we are doing some mentoring along North Avenue at Jefferson Middle and Schaefer Elementary Schools. Uh, when our mentors arrive at Jefferson on Tuesday, they go to this one room, room 103, and they have some time to chat with each other. They have some time to kind of check in and find out what's going on in each of their lives and the lives of the people they're mentoring. Um, and they're there to listen, encourage, and support each other. In fact, I talked with Eileen Zimba on Friday. Eileen is part of our school's leadership team. She said she's really impressed by how well-connected that our mentors are. Right? They're connecting well, not just with the students, but we, with each other. And they're not just talking about surface stuff. 
They're talking about things that actually matter in people's lives. Our music team here uh, is the one that Kim joined and Toussaint as well. Uh, it, we're like a big family, sometimes a big dysfunctional family, but we're a big family. And, and although there are roughly 50 or so people that serve on a team, it often feels like a much smaller uh, group or even like extended family. And as we meet together on Wednesdays for rehearsal, we spend time catching up. We laugh together. We talk together. We most certainly eat together. We listen and we pray for each other. And there are many on this team who I would count as friends and practically family, all because of relationships that are formed by serving and doing life together. So a few weeks ago, when I wasn't serving on the team here, I took some time and I walked around the rest of the building just to kind of see what goes on on Sunday mornings elsewhere. And one of the most remarkable things was watching the volunteers connecting with each other. I mean, yeah, they were here to serve, right? Some were serving adults, others the youth, other kids. But in almost every place I walked through, I was struck that by the relationships that were either already in place or were being formed as people served alongside one another. And friends, I've seen it many times in my own life and even more often in those that I serve with. Serving together in community, it's a great way to develop relationships and also to deepen our discipleship, our walk with Christ as we serve together. Thanks, Steve. And let me just say that real men drink tea, okay? I, I prefer rose hip myself, but uh, we have a brochure that was put in your bulletin that uh, lists out all kinds of different ways and places where you can, you can connect. Uh, and I, I hope you'll take that and make good use of it. We put it together for you. But uh, overall, let, let me just summarize. Let me summarize it this way. If you're a follower of Jesus then being connected to the body, being in relationship with others, being in community uh, with other Christians is absolutely crucial to your spiritual growth and health. And just as it was in the early days of the church, all of us being together in this large group, singing, praying, studying, that's a good thing, man. It really is. But it's only for one hour, one day out of seven. And you know as well as I do that the majority of life unfolds outside these walls. And so we need to be connecting with each other throughout the week. And I realize, you know, I realize that in our very individualistic and increasingly isolated culture, that to intentionally move into smaller communities may not seem natural, comfortable, or easy. But keep in mind, the early church turned its world upside down because it went against cultural norms. And we're committed to doing the same. So opportunities for connection and meaningful community and, and establishing relationships that matter are all around you. Isolation is a choice. And I'm here to tell you that it's a spiritually detrimental one. And here's something else to think about. I, I don't know what 2013 holds for you, for me, for all of us, for our families. But I do know this, that as Christians... By grace, we've been saved into a new relationship with God and into a new relationship with each other, into a new type of community. Not only so that we can learn and grow spiritually, but also so we can be close enough to love, and to support, and to help each other. Not, not if, but when life gets hard. We are not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to be alone. And you don't have to be. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the English folk rock band Mumford & Sons, but they're one of my favorite groups right now. And uh, their songs have substance. And one of, the, one of the songs that they sing is a song entitled Timshel. And the song is about 
It's about walking uh, alongside of, a f- of someone. It was a friend of theirs who's facing a really hard moment in life. And they sing, you know, death is at your doorstep. So this is a serious situation for this person. But in the chorus of the song, they offer their friend this promise. Listen to this. It's a beautiful song. And um, I, I don't know about you, but when I heard it, I, I began to think, you know, this off, that kind of offer, of, that kind of promise to a friend should be the course of the church, right? That we declare to one another in good times and when times are hard, even when death is at the doorstep, that we declare as brothers and sisters in Christ that you are not alone in this. You're not alone in this thing called life. That hand in hand we can learn and we can grow and we can walk closely together through it. But as I mentioned, the name of that song is Timshul. Timshul comes from an Old Testament Hebrew term. It means you may choose. And that's really what it comes down to. That in life, we can choose isolation or we can choose that which God has graciously established for our welfare and our benefit, a new community, His body, where, you know, if, if you accept Christ, if you follow Christ, you are a member, the church. And my prayer is that you will choose to connect, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week in smaller venues where authentic relationships can really happen, and life can be walked and done together. So let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we're grateful for the community that you've given us, the church, your body, and um, how when we place our faith in Jesus, you place us in that body. And that when we separate ourselves, that is a spiritually detrimental thing for us and for the church itself. For we need each other. And the church is best when we're all committed to being together in big venues like this and in smaller communities, in classrooms or in homes where we can really know and be known, which is one of the deepest needs and desires of of our humanity. And so we're grateful for the community that you've given us. And um, I pray that you would establish us in it firmly this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.